0: It is so good to be back. So good not to be in Puerto Rico right now. Um, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and Greg will get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. We are in Isaiah chapter 58 tonight. So we are making our way through Isaiah. I think we're going to get through 60 tonight, but we'll see. That'll only leave us six more chapters, but uh, it's been great. It's been awesome uh, going through the book of Isaiah. Isaiah. A um, couple things to pray for before we get into the study. Definitely we need to pray for the folks in Puerto Rico. You know, when we were there, 80% of the people were without power. That was the Sunday we visited the Calvary Chapel there. And now we know 100% of the people is, is, are out of power. And, and, you know, when you when you visit a church and you see the people and you get to know them just a little bit, you know, you just feel for them you know, all the more that they're, they're having to go through this right now. And so uh, I want to pray for them Uh this evening before we get to the study. And then also, uh, Lisa's woman's retreat is coming up this weekend. Kathy Dickinson is flying out Friday for that. So we want to pray God's hand of blessing upon the retreat as well. And so uh, let's pray and then we'll get into God's Word. Father, we thank you for this night tonight. Lord, this opportunity for your church to gather together to open up your Word, uh, this Bible, Lord, that we have on our laps, in our hands, Lord, and know that It's your word speaking to our hearts and and teaching us, Lord, what it means to follow you and have a relationship with you. Lord, we recognize the church is not just in this place here, but it's all over the world. And, Lord, we do pray uh, for the folks in Puerto Rico right now. We pray for the church that's there, Lord, that you would protect them, their their building, their facilities, Lord God, that they would be able to get up and running so they might be able to minister to the other folks that are there, especially those that don't know you. Uh, Lord, that they would be a light in that dark place there, Lord God. And we pray for them. We pray for their safety. We pray for the island of Puerto Rico, Lord. We pray that you'd uh, keep the people safe and that, uh, Lord, that this, this hurricane would just uh, just break apart, Lord, that it wouldn't do any more damage. It would fall apart. And so, Lord... We pray for them. We pray also, Lord, for this coming retreat. We pray for traveling mercies for Kathy as she uh, is flying out on Friday. Lord, just give her a safe flight. Get her here. uh, And just bless this retreat. Lord, speak through her in a powerful way. Bless the ladies that will be coming out for that and all the details left to do for it, Lord, just that your hand would be upon it. And now, Lord, we ask your blessing upon our night as we look to your word. Uh, We're just open to receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In our last study, four weeks ago, (laughs) we've been seeing that the Lord has been speaking to His people, the Jewish people, for about the last chapter and a half, about repentance, turning from their sin and turning back to Him. And He continues with that same theme in chapter 58. Now look at verse 1 of chapter 58. He says, "The Lord, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, tell my people their transgression... And the house of Jacob, their sins. The Lord is commanding Isaiah, speak up. Speak out. Send the message. Point out the, the transgressions. Point out the sins of the people around you. See, the people thought that they were very religious. Whenever you want to uh, bring out a person's sin who thinks they're very religious, it, it doesn't go very well. They're not very receptive. Why? Because the the religiosity brings a lot of pride, you know, within that. And so when you confront someone, that that confrontation is never comfortable. It's much easier to let a person continue in their sin than to come up to him and say, hey, I need to talk to you. You Now, I think about it from a doctor-patient perspective. What if because you don't like confrontation, you don't tell your patient he has cancer? You'd be a lousy doctor. Paul writes this in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, any any sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So fulfill the law, loving one another, caring for one another. Here the Lord is telling Isaiah, don't hold back. Don't be intimidated by the people. Don't try to be politically correct. Tell it like it is, without shame and without fear. Cry aloud so people hear, tell my people their sin. And I tell you, we know this, certainly in the churches today, we're not finding pastors that are, are preaching against sin because preaching against sin is not popular. And, and you know, uh, preaching against sin is something that, that, that you know, it doesn't get you a make a church overnight. But God has called us to stand up against sin. Now, that doesn't mean we need to be sin sniffers and fault finders. Oh, you got to sin, you know, but 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 it does mean we need to care enough about our brothers and sisters who've fallen into sin and to be honest and upfront and tell it like it is. Now, it's up to them to receive it or not. The Lord here says the problem is that people are thinking they're all okay. They're thinking, oh, I'm very religious in the things that they were doing, but their hearts really were far from God. Look at verse 2. The Lord says, Yet they seek me daily, then delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching God. In other words, he's saying, the Lord is saying, you're still coming to me, you're still seeking me, and yet you're wondering why I'm not answering you, why I'm not hearing your prayers. Look at verse 3. They, they say, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? Why are we doing these, God, doing these things, God, and you're ignoring us? We're being religious. You know, we're going to church, you know, we're, we're fasting, we're afflicting ourselves. Why aren't you responding? And the Lord answers why. He says, in fact, and the day of your fast, you find pleasure and you exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate. And to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. What sin is Isaiah pointing out here? It's a sin of religious hypocrisy. Acting all religious, but not really having that relationship with God. The people were just going through the motions. They had this outward form of religion, but the heart of the people was still alienated from God. And so they would go to the temple and they'd go to worship God. And yet, You know, they'd come home and they'd still be worshiping their little idols and still following after their flesh. You know, the same thing happens today. There are people who are still on the surface. They acknowledge God, but it's just a surface experience. But it hasn't really affected them down within their hearts and their lives, in their way of living. Listen, God is interested in our hearts, a real relationship with Him, not just religion. Remember back in Isaiah 29, the Lord said this in verse 13, These people, they draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but they've removed their hearts far from me. They're just going through the motions. They had the right words, but the wrong hearts. Jesus quoted that same uh, verse to the Pharisees in Matthew 15:8 when he said, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's what the Lord is, is saying here in verse 4 again. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate, and you strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. You're going through the motions of fasting, you're not eating, you know, you're not doing without you're doing without a meal, but as you do that, your tempers are flaring, and you're fighting and you're arguing, you're fighting with each other. They were hangry. You guys know what that is, right? You're hungry and you're angry. I think we've all been there when we're not fasting. You know, you go, Oh, I'm hungry and I'm angry, I want my food now. But here God's people they, they were fasting. And getting hungry and getting angry, you don't do that when you're fasting. Uh, on top of that, the Lord says here they were fasting just to make their voices heard. It was all about self exaltation. Total opposite of the heart of one who is fasting. Remember Jesus said, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites who like to make a big deal over it and kind of this open display of their fasting. You know, they would get this. Mournful face on, you know, on, and they would look all sad and, and weak and, and, and they'd say, what's wrong with you? Oh, you know, I'm fasting today. Oh, brother, you are so spiritual. Lord's saying, that's not what fasting is all about. Again, just this religious hypocrisy was going on, and the Lord is saying, stop it. Stop going through the motions when your heart is really not right with me. J. Vernon McGee. A quote, I I like to quote him from now and then, And, and he comments on this very well. He says, my friend, I'm of the opinion that the Lord could stop many church services today and say, listen, let's cut this out. Why are you going through this form? You're not getting close to me. You're not pleasing me. When you leave this service, you gossip. You have bitterness in your heart. You're not moral in your conduct, and you are living loose lives. You think that you're pleasing me by your religious form. I want you to know that you're not pleasing me. That is the reason I'm rejecting you. I don't think Pastor Jay, you know, really served in a seeker friendly church. <laughs> you know, he just told it like it is. And that is really what the Lord is saying to the Jewish people here. You fast, but it's all wrong. So he says in verses five here he says, Is this is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bullresh and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? So when it comes to fasting, there's a a lot of different applications. In the Bible, people fasted to to seek and inquire of the Lord. David, when when his son with Bathsheba was sick and dying, we're told in 2 Samuel that David therefore pleaded with God for the child and David fasted and went in and lay on the night, all night on the ground, uh, 2 Samuel 12, 16. We fast because of, of sorrow we we fast to appeal to God for answered prayer something just to humble ourselves before the Lord and 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 just you know to say lord i'm just going to i'm going to skip a meal today and i'm just going to praise you instead because of how great you are it's also a way that we exercise control over our flesh you know we deny our flesh by denying that meal and and it tur- teaches us then to deny our flesh in other areas in our lives but here the Lord is saying, and you're denying your flesh and fasting. You've actually been catering to your flesh when you fast. So, so to fix this, you need to deny your flesh in another way. Instead of being self-centered, you need to be other-centered. Look at verse 6. The Lord says, Is this not the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover them and not hide yourself from your own flesh. I mean, here the Lord is saying, if you really want to fast, and let me tell you what to do. Instead of fasting and going all around and having this, this pious look on your face, stop your sinning. Stop gossiping. Stop the things that that, that reveal the wickedness and the evilness of your heart. Demonstrate your faith by your conduct. Start being honest in your dealings. Be truthful in what you say and do. Instead of seeing you in sackcloth and and covered with ashes, I'd like to see you pouring your life into other people's lives. Again, instead of being self-centered, be honest. Other center. Share your bread with the hungry. Bring to your house the poor who are cast out. Clothe those without any clothing. Don't hide away and keep yourself. Seek those who you can minister to. That's what the Lord is saying. Amen. Seek what you can do. As a result, you'll be blessed. God will move in your life. Look at verse 8. He says, Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, Here I am, if you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness. In other words, God is saying, listen, if you pour your heart out to others, if you seek to bless others, I will pour blessing upon blessing in your life. I found that to many times in my life, I, you know, maybe get a hospital call and, and I go and I visit and think, oh, I know this person's going to be just miserable. And, and I get in there and that person blesses me as I'm trying to bless them and share with them the different situations that happen. You go to help someone out and God just blesses you with that joy and that peace that you were able to be used by God. Here, God is saying, you reach out to those without, you reach out to those who are hurting, those that, that need help, and God will be with you. He'll go before you and he'll be behind you. He'll take care of you. He'll answer you when you call. Verse 10, he goes on. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. See, this is just another example that we find in God's Word where it's not about religion, it's about a relationship. God asked them to to practice, you know, one specific thing that He might bless them. You know he only really picked one thing he could have picked a dozen things but but he chose only one. Says God says, listen, if you if you if you show yourself and you give yourself to those in need, if you follow me with your whole heart, if if you serve me with your whole heart, I can bless you. You know, it's just really pretty simple. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and blessings come. Well, then the Lord promises in verse 13, he says, If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, not finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, the mouth of the Lord has spoken, we read. See, another thing that was happening during this time was the Jews, uh, you know, they were being all religious, observing the Sabbath, but they were doing so with the wrong heart. God had given them the the seventh day uh, of each week as a day of rest for the body and and to focus their minds on Him. But the Jews were using that day off to indulge in their own carnal desires. Instead of bringing forth the Word of God, they would talk about their own ideas. They would go and and, and say, well, you know, we'll go to church, but we're not going to talk about God or teach out of the Bible or talk to each other about the Lord. We're just going to make it a social club. And they weren't, you know, really honoring the Lord. They weren't honoring the Sabbath. And, and, you know, we see it today as well. And God is telling them if they just get back to worshiping the Lord and honoring the Sabbath, that He would bless them radically. I wonder what the Lord would say to each one of us about our religious observances. You know, are, are we really, are we doing them unto the Lord? Is our heart right with the Lord? Or are we just kind of going through the motions? Our minds are someplace else. Our heart is someplace else. Now, the good news is, you know, if, if we're not right with the Lord, and the heart is someplace else, God is the one who welcomes repentance. He's always ready to forgive. He's always ready to, to start up the relationship again. But unless we do that, unless we come to Him in repentance, we've actually separated ourselves from God. And that's what we see in chapter 59. Look now at chapter 59, verse 1. It begins with, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Now again, they were saying, Lord, how come you don't hear us when we fast? Why aren't you acknowledging it? Why aren't you answering our prayers? Now the Lord's saying, hey, it's not me. It's you guys. Look at verse 2. It says, your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies and your tongue has muttered perversity. David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me when I pray. Here God is saying, look, my hand's not too short. My ear isn't that heavy that I, that I can't save, I can't hear. There's nothing wrong with my hearing. It's your sins. It's broken our connection that we've had between you and me. Listen, sin hinders our prayer. Sin breaks your relationship with God. It breaks fellowship with God. And at that point, unless it's a prayer of repentance, then your prayers are totally meaningless. In fact, it's a little worse. Your prayers become deceitful because you know that that you're in sin and what you're doing is wrong. And So many times, a person will pass it off as, oh, you know, I I know I'm not living as I should, but I'm going to pray anyway. I know know this is wrong. I know that this is sin, but I'll pray. God will overlook my sin. God will will answer this prayer. Or there are those that are so foolish as to think that God somehow approves of their sin and so they go on as if everything is okay. God says, no way. Your prayers are meaningless to me. Why? Because you've allowed the sin in your life and you've not repented. You've separated yourself from God by staying in that place of sin. Let me tell you, there is no miserable place to be in than to be in that place of sin and unrepentance. And that's what we see in verses 4 through 8. Look at verse 4. Isaiah writes, No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. They hatch vipers' eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats of their eggs dies, and from that which is crushed, a viper breaks out. Oh, just creepy. (laughs) Their webs will not become garments, They will, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they have not known, and there is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves quick and passed. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. Just see the works of, of those, the, the, those that, that are not right with God and, and the evil producing more evil and producing more evil. Romans three eleven through 18 is a parallel passage that speaks of an open tomb, poison, bloodshed, destruction, misery, all to describe what sin does. Romans 3.17 says, And the way of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. See, we tend to think of of sin as being unfortunate. God, however, sees it for what it is. Deadly. And he's saying that there's no one seeking Him for righteousness and truth. Instead, they continue to go down this path of sin with their thoughts and their evil continually. It it leads to a lack of peace in your life and eventually death. In fact, he goes on, look at verse 9. Therefore, justice is far from us, Nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as at twilight. We are as dead men in desolate places. We all growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. See here, Isaiah is acknowledging, Lord, you are so right. Because we as a nation, uh, because of our sin, we're living in darkness. We, we we are blind. And we do, just like it says here, continue to stumble and grope as if we had no eyes. We are as dead men in desolate places. Doesn't that perfectly describe a person who knowingly is in sin and refuses to repent? They want justice but don't have it. They want direction, but, but but lack it. They want peace, but they, they can't find it. All because they choose to continue unknowingly in their sin, choosing not to repent. Isaiah goes on, look at verse 12. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. And transgressing and lying against the Lord, and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off for truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter, so truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. See, Isaiah here is praying to the Lord and confessing the sin of the nation. And he says, Lord, you see all of our sins. They all testify against us. Listen, listen nothing is hid from the Lord. Every sin that is committed is committed right in front of God. We're told in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, "...and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account." Listen, the Lord sees all, especially when we make a decision to willfully sin and turning away from Him in rebellion. Now, now perhaps Isaiah is feeling a little bit of tension here because he's been sharing God's word with the people. He's been doing what God has said, exposing their sin. So he says in verse 15, "So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey." In other words, in times when righteous people are, are scarce, someone who stands up for the truth and practice goodness, they become a target. You know, if you say, man, this is wrong. We need to stop. We need to stop and turn the other direction. Man, you've got a bullseye in the back of your, your back. You know, just, say, just shoot me right here. And all you have to do is look at our society today as we see business owners standing for righteousness and being sued and losing their entire business because they won't make a wedding cake for a homosexual couple. Understand, the Lord knows. The Lord sees this is going on. Again, in verse 15, it goes on, Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. And he's saying that there's no one to cry out against the sin of the people, no justice. People just allowing it to go on and on. Finally, the Lord has to step in. Why? Look at verse 16. Because he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness is sustained. it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garment of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay. Fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, the coastlands he will fully repay. This reminds us of Ephesians chapter 6. You know, we're told to put on the whole armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. I think, you know, so often when we study the book of Ephesians and we, we talk about Paul describing the different armor and the armor of God, you know, we use the analogy that Paul was probably sitting there and looking at a Roman sho- soldier he's chained to and saying, well, the helmet that he's got on us, that's, that's the helmet of salvation, that breastplate, and we think he's going through all of this, and, uh, you know, but, but, but actually the Lord himself is the one who came up with this analogy. The breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation were figures of speech that God used about 750 years before Paul wrote that in Ephesians 6. You see, Paul used that picture of an armor to talk about the armor that the Christian is to put on to be able to stand firm. But don't forget, it's the armor of God. It's, it's God's armor. It's not my armor. It's not your armor. It's God's armor they're put on. It's gearing up His armor to do battle against sin, to wreak re- vengeance against wickedness with His zeal. And at His second coming of Christ, the enemies of God will experience His wrath. That's what it's saying here. Verse 19. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and His glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. I I love that verse. When the enemy comes in and he's attacking, the Lord is going to stand up against them. Isn't that great to know that the battle belongs to the Lord? Verse 20. The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them, my spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth nor from the mouth of your descendants nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. Again, the the Lord is speaking through Isaiah to to the children of Israel and, and, and Paul kind of said the same thing. Remember what Paul said in Romans eleven twenty five and 26? He said, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The Deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. See, Paul is making a reference to, uh, really, this particular prophecy of Isaiah of that great and glorious day of the Lord, when Jesus comes and establishes His kingdom, when Jesus comes and 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 returns to judge His enemies, He will also redeem the Jewish people. And from then on, God's people will never depart from Him. Uh, it, you know, His word will never depart from Him. The word of God will be, be will be taught and treasured by every generation. It says, "From the mouth of your descendants and the mouth of your descendants' descendants, from this time and forevermore." So, in light of that, chapter 60, we're making some pretty good headway tonight. Look at verses 1 through 6. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar and your daughter shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant and your heart shall swell with joy because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. The multitude of camels shall cover your land. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. Now Israel really is getting the gold right now and a lot of these things, but he goes on looking verse seven. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together to you, the rams of Nebaoth shall minister to you, they shall ascend with acceptance on my altar, and I will glorify the house of my glory. Who are these who fly like a cloud and like doves to their roosts? Surely the coastland shall wait for me, and the ships of Tarshish will come first to bring your sons from afar their silver and their gold with them, to the name of the Lord your God and to the Holy One of Israel, because He has glorified you. The sons of foreigners shall build up your walls and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have mercy on you. Therefore your gates shall be opened continually. They shall not be shut day or night, that men may bring to you the wealth of the Gentiles and their kings in procession. Verse 12, For the nation and kingdom which will not serve you shall perish, And those nations shall be utterly ruined. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the pine, and the box tree together to beautify the place of my sanctuary and I will make the place of my feet glorious. Now, with this prophecy of the glorious coming of the Messiah and the glory that shall come to Israel when the Messiah comes, you can understand the difficulty that the Jews had with Jesus Christ. They would would read this and they go, oh, that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for the Messiah to come in and, and our nation to be like this, where the, the foreigners will come in and build up your walls and, and, and all these things will that will happen. So when it wasn't happening that way, they were confused. They didn't get it. Even Jesus' own disciples wondered when he was going to overthrow the Roman government. They were troubled when, when he talked to them about his crucifixion. How the Son of Man must be rejected by men and turned over to the hand of sinners and be crucified and slain and on the third day rise again. I think if Peter he spoke to Jesus about his, uh, started, Jesus started talking to him about his, his rejection, about his death, Peter couldn't stand it. You know, Jesus is telling Peter, I'm going to be crucified and, and, and put to death. And, and Peter says, Lord, don't talk like that. Be that far from me. And the Lord had to rebuke Peter. The problem was they believed Isaiah 60, but they didn't understand Isaiah 53. They had great difficulty because there in Isaiah chapter 53, we read that the Messiah would be despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as we hid our faces from him. Surely he had borne our griefs he carried our sorrows. We read there in Isaiah 53 that he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon, and by his stripes we, have we are healed. We read there that we have turned away everyone to his own way, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here in Isaiah 60, we read of the glory that is coming to Israel when the Redeemer comes. How the gates shall be opened continually; they shall not be shut day or night, that men may bring with you the wealth of the Gentiles. So it's very difficult for the Jewish people to, to correlate, to figure out how do these two things fit together. So the way they settled these opposing positions was to spiritualize the suffering of the Messiah. They only accepted and looked at those scriptures that, that spoke of the glory and the reign of the Messiah and emphasized, you know, the, you know the physical aspect of that, but then the, the, the you know they spiritualized the other references, the suffering, the death, or the rejection, they would just spiritualize that. Now, as a result, we know that they failed to recognize Jesus as the Messiah when he came, and, but though he was definitely fulfilling their own scriptures. Now, next time together, when we get to chapter 61, we'll see the prophecy itself, a definite division between the two comings of the Messiah in just one verse that it's there, and, and, and the Jewish people should have seen it as well. But here in Isaiah, the Lord is describing the day in which he returns and what it's going to be like at the end of the, the seven-year tribulation period, the millennial reign of Christ. Look at verse 11, I mean rather verse 14. Speaking of Israel, the Lord says, Also the sons of those who are afflicted, you shall come bowing to you, and all those who despise you shall fall prostrate at the soles of your feet, and they shall call to you the city of the Lord Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, so that no one went through you, I will make you an eternal excellence, a joy of many generations. You shall drink the milk of the Gentiles and milk the breast of kings. You shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. And instead of stones, iron. I will also make your officers peace and your magistries righteousness. Violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders, but you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Now what a, an awesome promise. What it's going to be like, I mean, when the Lord returns and, 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 and you know, how awesome this is going to be when the seed and the walls are called salvation and the gates are, are called praise. You know, Psalm 100 verse 4 tells us, in that day we will enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him. Bless his holy name. Again, this will be during the millennial reign of Christ that people from all over will just come to worship the Lord in great celebrations there in Israel. Verse 19, he goes on, The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you, but the Lord will be to you an everlasting light, and your God your glory. Your sun shall no longer go down, nor shall your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your morning shall be ended. Also your people shall be all, righteous, shall all be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. A little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. So here the Lord is declaring His purpose that He will accomplish in His time the glorious restoration of God and the work of God among the people, among the city of the nation of Israel. What a day it's going to be when Jesus returns. When God's righteousness covers the earth as waters cover the sea. The glorious day of the Lord. That's what we're reading here. I know as we look at the world today in which we live, we see more and more the need for God to intervene. We see the injustices that, that fill our earth. It seems that if a person does, does stand up for right, he stands alone, he's isolated, he's made fun of. So the time has really come for the Spirit of the Lord to, to lift up the standard against the enemy. For our Redeemer to return and establish righteousness in His righteous kingdom upon the earth. See, God is, God is seeking for justice, for judgment. God is seeking for people that will honor Him, not with their lips, and with their hearts, with their actions. God is seeking for people that will serve Him with a pure heart. And then God is open to them and to their cry, but unto the wicked there is no rest, there is no peace. God, help us that we live a life that is pleasing to Him, that we might know that peace of God, that our hearts might be established in His peace and in His love as we await the Messiah and His coming uh, and for God's promises to be fulfilled in that kingdom age. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word tonight, Lord. And we see such a great uh, illustration, example, Lord, of Lord, a heart that's not right with You and a heart that is right with You. Someone that just pretends to know you, Lord, but one that has a true relationship with you. Lord, we see that it's just, a, it's all hypocrisy, Lord, just to go through the motions and not really have that relationship with you, Lord. But we see, Lord, when our hearts are right before you, when we do that which you've called us to do, to, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love each other, love others as we love ourselves, Lord, that you bless that, and you honor that, and you bless your people for that. Lord, we don't, we don't want to do that because of the blessings. We we want to do that because you've blessed us, because you love us so much, not because of what we can get out of it, Lord. Thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for dying for us and rising again from the dead. Lord, help us to live a life that's holy and set apart and pleasing unto you. Help us, Lord, to extend our hearts and, and really our, our, our actions out to those that, that need the help, Lord, to, to those that need help, uh, food and clothing. Help us to be your arm, Lord, stretched out to help those that are hurting. Again, we pray for the, those in Puerto Rico, Lord. We pray for those that have been ravaged by, the, by the, the hurricanes in Texas, Lord, in Florida. We pray, Lord, as a church, that we can be your arm and extend out and help those that are in need, Lord, that, that we can be those that, that that seek to do what you've called us to do in your word. Thank you for this night. Thank you for your word. Bless us, Lord, our fellowship time afterwards. Give us traveling mercy on our way home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll stand and we'll do one last song together.